Well, welcome home, everybody. Welcome home. You glad to be here? Man, I really am too. I get to actually talk to people, all right? Not just to a camera. So I'm so excited to see you here. Thank you for coming. And we're excited to be back in the house and uh, gathered back together. Hey, I want to give a special thank you to a lot of people that made this possible. Our facility team cleans in between services. They're doing a great job. Our technical team has really gone above and beyond for the radio station when you pull up with all the information. And I tell you what, our ushers, greeters, guest service people are the best in the world. And they made sure you got to your seat and all that. Can you give them a big thank you? I want to also give a, a shout out to all of all those that are worshiping with us in the student building and those that are here, of course, and then, uh, and then those that are, of you that are online that are still worshiping there. Lord, we're just so glad that you have joined us today and we're excited for you to be back in the house with us very, very soon. All right. So I was uh, reading this week about a man named John Cazal who has written a lot of uh, work on uh, poverty in America especially in urban centers of America. And in one of his uh, studies or one of his, uh, in part of his research, uh, he met a woman named Mrs. Washington. Now, Mrs. Washington lives with her son in a homeless hotel in the South Bronx. And Mrs. Washington is very sick. And so as he would, John would go to visit her, uh, you could see her getting weaker and weaker during their visits. But they would talk a lot about her life experience, her experience of uh, injustice, her experience of homelessness, her experience of violence, her experience of drug use and addiction around her. And uh, she would tell these stories and he was taking this in as part of his study. But one time he went to go visit Miss Washington and he noticed that she had a Bible open on her bed. And so he asked her, do you read the Bible? She said, I certainly do. And he asked, well, what part of the Bible do you like the most? To which she said, Ecclesiastes. And then she said this, she said, if you want to know what's going on these days, it's all right there. Now, Today, we're launching a new series called Under the Sun, and it's a study of the book of Ecclesiastes. That's what we're going to be landing today, and, and we're going to be talking about what does God say in this book. And I, I tell you that Ecclesiastes, let me just kind of warn you, it's kind of a different kind of book. It's a little odd book as far as just kind of compared to the other books of the Bible. It's very different. It's very unique. If Ecclesiastes was a teenager, he'd probably be wearing all black with a lot of eyeliner, kind of in the corner of the lunchroom reading, you know, poetry and philosophy, all right? The Ecclesiastes is kind of that way. It's, uh, it's moody, it's mysterious, it's introspective, it's, it's sometimes negative, it's sometimes confusing to understand. Ecclesiastes is a very deep well. And because of that, not a whole lot of people are writing on it, teaching about it. I mean, Psalms, who doesn't love the Psalms, right? But you get in Ecclesiastes, you're like, where's he going with this? And so uh, just a point of clarity and honesty from the preacher. Uh, I've been at this preaching for 20 something years and, uh, and I have never preached a series out of Ecclesiastes. So you can be rest assured you're not getting anything warmed up, all right, from like, well, he probably did that 10 years ago. No, no, this is brand new. And, uh, and I really believe we need this right now. We need to read this right now. Just think of all that we've been through. 
I mean, to talk about the coronavirus and the worldwide pandemic and all of us have been wrestling with that. And this is our first time to gather as a church in almost three months. And so you think about that and then just as we kind of stagger out of that and we're starting to get on our feet again, starting to move the right direction, that we had all this uh, racial tension that's happening in our country and a lot of division in our country, a lot of hatred in our country, a lot of chaos in our country happening right now. How do we make sense of all that? How do we understand all that? Well, in the words of Mrs. Washington, if you want to know what's going on these days, it's all right here in the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're going to dive into it. So are you ready to get to work? Huh? You ready to get to work? All right, get your Bible out. Let's do what we do. Open up to the book of Ecclesiastes. You're going, okay, let's start with where is that? All right, Old Testament. Uh, if you go to Psalms and click twice to the right, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. That's where we are today. Ecclesiastes chapter one. And now anytime you jump into a book, anytime I'm reading a book, always kind of read a little bit about the author. Uh, who is this person? What credibility they have uh, to write? And so we're going to hear a little bit about the author right here in verse one. So this is the word of God. It says the word of the teacher, Koholet, uh, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So uh, we don't really know that much about who's writing uh, this. It, the, the, the book does not disclose who the teacher is. Uh, however, most people believe that this is Solomon that wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. I kind of throw my hat in with them. I believe that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He is literally, as it says here, the son of David, referring to King David, one of the greatest kings in Israel. And so here is Solomon writing this and he was a son of the king. You're thinking, how cool is that? I mean, how great would that be? Just grow up and be David's son. That would be great. However, you got to understand that his parents' relationship was a little complicated. All right, Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. And if you know anything of that story, you know how uh, David and, so and Bathsheba got connected to an affair that led to uh, Bathsheba's husband being murdered and then scandal and then, and then exposure of the scandal and repentance and all of that. The, the child that was produced from the union of David and Bathsheba died, but much time later they had another son, Solomon, who then rose up to follow his father's footsteps as king of Israel. So this is probably what we're talking about here. This is the guy that's writing this book. Solomon was known for two things, his, his incredible wisdom and his immense wealth. So uh, at one point early in his life when he oversees the building of the temple of God and the worship of God, God this is really at his, probably his high point spiritually and God comes to him and he says, Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you a blank check. What do you want more than anything? And he said, I want wisdom to lead your people because who can lead your people without wisdom? And that pleased God so much that God gave him supernatural wisdom. According to Matthew, the only one wiser than Solomon was Jesus himself, greater than Solomon. But Solomon had supernatural wisdom. Kings and queens would come from, from long distances to sit at his feet and learn from him and, and to understand his wisdom. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs uh, in, in your Bible. Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon, out love uh, in, in your Bible. Uh, according to 1 Kings uh, chapter 4, verse 32, Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs, 1,005 songs. So this was a prolific guy. And just turn to your person next to you and say, he's really smart, all right? Let's so go ahead and say, he's really smart. We need to listen to him, all right? 
not only was he very wise, but he was also incredibly wealthy. He sat on a throne of gold and ivory. He lived in a massive sprawling palace that took 13 years to build. Seven years to build the temple, 13 years to build his palace, all right? Uh, he had incredible, incredible wealth and power. The wealthiest king in Israel's history, the most prosperous king in Israel's history, he had, uh, according to First uh, Kings 11, verse 3, he had, get this, 700 wives, 300 concubines. If you don't think there was some drama in that house, all right, there's a lot going on there. And uh, he, he had everything. Listen, if you can imagine there's no distance between your desires and your ability to meet those desires, then you've just entered into the world of King Solomon. He was a powerful man. He was a smart man. He was a very wise man. He was a very, he was a very wealthy man. And yet, uh, while he started off well, walking with God, seeking God, seeking the Lord, God calling, calling him fire from heaven, I mean, amazing thing, uh, somehow along the way, Solomon lost his way and became more and more wayward from God. And, and because of the wealth and because of the popularity and because of the power, because he had anything at his disposal, his heart veered away from God. And uh, in many ways, I believe Solomon is a lot like the prodigal son who left his father and sowed his wild oats and what the world had to offer, but comes to his senses now. And I think in a, later in his life, Solomon is an older man now, and he's writing what he's experienced, what he's observed, and what is the true meaning and purpose of life in this book. And so Solomon is writing to us. Listen, if you had a messed up family, if you have doubts and questions about the goodness of God, if you feel empty inside at times, if you wonder why you should keep living, if you worry about your future, if you think that people have disappointed you, if anything like that has happened in your life, then Ecclesiastes is a book for you. Because you're going to relate to what Solomon is teaching us in this book. So Solomon is the author of the book and really right out of the shoot in verse 2 he gives us the thesis of the book, the main idea of the book, the big idea of the book and here it is. This is what he's going to repeat over and over and over in the book. Here it is. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile in the book. All right, there you go. Uh, isn't that warm and fuzzy? Doesn't that just excite you? All right. Everything is futile. You know, everything is, in fact, the word futile there is uh, havel, is the Hebrew word, havel, havel, havel. Just say it, just say it out loud, just havel, all right? Havel, havel. It, it means empty, empty, meaningless, meaningless. The word havel literally means vapor, all right? So if you can, or smoke, or uh, mist, if you can picture a, a spiral of smoke going up into the air and then dissipating, if you, can, if you can fog a mirror with your breath and then watch it evaporate, if you can, if you can go out on a crisp, crisp cool morning and, and breathe into the air and it crystallize and then evaporate, he said, that is what life is like. It is hovel. It is temporary. It is a vapor. It is vanishing. 
it is here one moment and is gone the next. Most scholars believe that this word hovel means more than just vapor, that it's a metaphor for emptiness, that, that life is like smoke. You can't grab a hold of it. You can't understand it. You can't know where it's going, that it is unpredictable, that it's uncertain. That uh, and, and even more of that, that it can be empty and meaningless. NIV translates this word meaningless. You can look in your Bible and see how it translates it. Meaningless, uh, Christian Standard Bible translates it futile, empty, worthless, meaningless. And that is what his theme is all the way through this book. The worthlessness, the meaninglessness of uh, life. Listen, if you've lived long enough, you understand that you're not going to live this life without something disappointing you. That life is full of disappointments. That people let you down. That plans don't work out. That your, your direction that you wanted to go got stopped. That we have to live in a world of racism. We have to live in a world of hate. We have to live in a world of conflict. We have to live in a world of uncertainty and disease and death. We have to live in a world where accidents happen that are unexplainable, where the good people die young and the wicked people live long and, and people that try to walk with God don't, don't get the promotions and those that do rip you off, they get it, what it's coming. And, and, and all these things that do not make sense and, and, and seem empty to us. And he wraps all that up in that one word, hovel. It's worth, it's, va it's vapor, it's, it's mist, it's smoke. It's just here for a moment and there's no meaning to it. There's no, there, there's just futility in every element. And then you try to do something that makes you feel good. You try to do something that gives you some sense of joy in life and happiness in life. And you chase down that road and say, man, if I can make a lot of money, then that'll really make me feel like my life matters. Or if I can really be top of my company, if I could get that CEO job, that COO job, that C-level deal, if, if I could start my own business, if I could have that woman, if I could have that guy, if, if, I, could, if I could just love you know, alcohol or liquor, or drugs or whatever, whatever you dive into. And he says, even those things that promise you happiness and joy and satisfaction, all of it is hovel. It's empty. He goes, I've tried it all. It's all empty. This is, this is Solomon's main message. It is hovel. Everything in our life is a vapor and a mist and at the end is meaningless. If you say, well, if that's true, then why even bother? Why, why even bother living? And that's his big question. The big idea was everything's hovel. Everything's empty. Everything's a vapor. And in verse 3 is his big, big question. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? What, what, what is the gain? What is it? What is it? What's the payoff here? Right? I mean, uh, why bother? Why bother striving for justice if nothing ever changes? Why bother trying to do the right thing if the people that don't do the right thing get the promotion? Well, why bother working on my marriage if my marriage is so hard? Why bother trying to be a good parent if my kid's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway? Why, why bother going to college if uh, I, I graduate and I go straight to the, the unemployment line because I can't find a job? Why, why bother uh, trying to walk with God if, if things are so difficult? Why bother staying pure sexually if nobody else is doing it? Why bother? And we've all asked that question. I mean, Solomon is not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. He's just trying to be honest. He goes, we all ask, the, ultimately, sometimes we ask the question, why am I bothering to even do anything? 
Because I don't know if it's going to work out or not. You don't know if it's going to work out or not. It all seems hovel. And this is a question that a teenager asks when they're not accepted in school and they wonder if they should keep living. It's the same question that a guy in a midlife crisis wonders when he's given 30 years to a job and then he gets laid off like that. Why bother? And really this question of why bother kind of comes out of Solomon's his observations of the world around him and some experiences and, and, and he comes, to, he observes some things. And I want to give you a couple of things that he observes. Number one, he observes that nothing really changes. Look at verse four. Nothing really changes, he says. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting, it returns to the place where it rises. Uh, gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind and the wind returns and it cycles. All the streams flow down to the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place where the streams flow, where they flow again. All things are wearisome more than anyone can say. He goes, you know, nothing ever changes. You know, I, I work so hard, but nothing, I don't ever get anywhere. It's like another trip around the proverbial cul-de-sac. I'm just going around and around and nothing ever changes. It's just like being on a treadmill. You ever get on a treadmill like at the gym? You get on the gym and you put that thing on slow and then you got to get faster and faster and you run, 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 run. Sweat pouring off you after two minutes and, uh, and you're like running, running, running. And then at the end of it, you're out of breath, but you're still at the same spot. You didn't go anywhere. You didn't accomplish anything. Just a lot of effort that was meaningless effort. And you think our life is a lot like that. I mean, our life is kind of like Groundhog Day, you know. It's just kind of the same thing over and over. Think about your life. You typically get up to the same sound at the same time of the same alarm clock or on your, on your phone that you always do. And you get up and then you do the same thing. You, you get the same cup of coffee in the same coffee pot. You brew the same brew that you did the day before. You, get, you go to your closet. You pick out the same clothes that you always picked out the day before. You, you, you take the same route to work that you took the, week, the day before that. You listen to the same podcast or the same same radio station on the way in you settle in your same chair you fire up your same computer you do your same work you typically see the same people right and then you take your break and you go to the same lunch places and then then it, and if after that then you go back home and you and you sit down and you scroll through your Facebook and you listen to the same stupid people posting the same stupid stuff and uh, can you say that in church anyway and uh, and you watch the same TV shows and, and then you, you you then you kind of you know you you go to bed and then you get up and you do the thing all over again and he's like it's just a never-ending cycle and nothing ever changes it's so meaningless and I don't even know if I'm making any progress now he says that nothing ever changes but nothing ever really satisfies either look at what he look at verse the end of verse 8 in verse 9 the eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done I mean, he goes, uh, my eyes aren't satisfied, but they always want more. My ears always want more. I'm always looking for the next thing. We have endless number of shows you can watch on Netflix. And when the show is over, it says, well, you might be interested in this and this and this and this. Because we know you're not satisfied. Or you got to go to Spotify. You can just listen to endless number of songs, endless podcasts. But yet we are never satisfied with what we hear. And we're never satisfied with what we see. And our life, our souls are never full 
We're always looking for what's next. What's the next thing that's going to make me happy? Well, uh, maybe that next vacation. Uh, maybe that next vehicle. Maybe that next move. Maybe that next thing. And we're always searching for something and we're never satisfied. It's just hovel. We're never satisfied. And then, then finally he says that nothing's really ever new. Look at, look at verse 10. He says uh, in verse 9, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. Can one, uh, can one say about anything, look, this is new? It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before. And of those who will come after, there is no, also will be no remembrance by those who follow after them. There's not anything new. You say, wait a minute. I, I, yeah, there's something new, man. I got to be an iPhone. That's a new thing, man. I got me some technology. That's new. And then I saw this and I thought this was really appropriate. It says 4,000 years later, we're back to the same language. All right, man, there's just, there's just nothing new. You know, yeah, we have new technology, but, but the heart of man has not changed. The heart is still bent toward evil. And, and the new things we come up with, whether it's a catapult or a typewriter or it's a computer, we still use them in the same ways. And then he says, you know, one generation is not even going to remember you. I mean, how many of you uh, know the name of your great, great, great grandfather? I mean, maybe some genealogy, you know, people out there, but that's about it. And guess what? In a couple of generations, they're not going to know your name either. He goes, it's all hovel. So his main point of the book is, man, all the stuff we're pressing for and searching for that's going to give me meaning in life, it's really going to bring me emptiness. And so you're asking the question, well, why bother? And he's going, man, I'm asking that question too. Why bother? And you're like, okay, Craig, time out. Let's just stop and talk right now. I thought coming to church was supposed to make me feel good. And this is depressing. I mean, I, got up to, I came to church for this, right? I could have stayed at home for them. You know, I came to church. And then others of you were like, I love this sermon. I love this series. Because I was going to go home and mow the grass. And now I'm just going to tell my wife it's just all hovel. Right? It doesn't matter. And she has me to do this. I'm going, oh, hovel, hovel. That's what Craig said. Oh, hovel, 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 hovel. Right? But here's, here's his point. Here's his point. If you can embrace and understand and get your mind wrapped around the emptiness of our existence, the temporality of our, our smoke. And you can ask the question to yourself honestly, why bother? Then you're ready for a shift in your thinking. And this is where Solomon's driving. I'm going to give you the key that opens a door to the book of Ecclesiastes. It is a phrase that, uh, that appears 29 times in the book that if you understand this key, then you can understand the point that Solomon is making. Solomon is not going to give you the answers, folks. All the way through this book, there's not at the end of the chapter, oh, here are all the answers, right? He's going to make you think through the answers. But here's a key to help you understand. The phrase, under the sun tells you Solomon's perspective. Solomon is speaking to you and all the things, it's all hovel, it's all empty, it's all meaningless. It's all, and why do I bother? All these things come from the point of view that is ground level. It's under the sun. It is, it is man's view of life apart from God. If you take God, if you reach in and pull God out of the equation, what you are left with is a life that is hovel. 
It is meaningless. It does not matter. And you come and you go and things are uncertain and then you die. That's the whole idea. And even the things that say, oh, this will give you life, none of it does. He goes, I, if you run down that trail, I'm telling you, it, was, it is a dead end when you get there because I've already run down it. And so he's warning us here. He's telling us that life without God is meaningless. But life with God at the center is full of meaning. That's the point. Life without God is meaningless. But life with God in the center is full and rich of meaning. When I, when I was in uh, college, I remember sitting in a big classroom like held maybe like two or three hundred people I'm in the back row as a good Baptist would be and uh, I'm sitting back there and the teacher is writing some formula or something on the board and I'm just like squinting I just can't see it I, uh, I, I turn to the person next to me and go man I cannot see that and they took their glasses off and handed me their glasses so I put them on it was like Whoa! you know all of a sudden man I could see I didn't even know I needed glasses, but apparently I did because everything without my glasses just seems so, they, like right now, you're just very, uh, I can see kind of images out there, but you know, I can make out a few colors, but uh, everything is very fuzzy and undefined. But when I put my glasses on, I can see with clarity. And this is what Solomon is saying. He's saying, if you look at life from man's perspective under the sun, it's very fuzzy, confusing, unpredictable, empty, meaningless. But if you look at life through the lens of God's perspective, then there's clarity and there's hope and there's purpose and there's meaning. Really, there are two ways to look at the world that, and, and help me uh, walk through this. It, it is a perspective of under the sun, take God out of the equation, just how I see things. Or it is a perspective that I look at life for the sun in that I am living for Christ. So what perspective do you have? Do you look at your job as under the sun? Well, I just got to grind this thing out. I got to climb it and I'm going to get there. And then I'll finally get there. And, and then I'm going to lose it or I'm going to get axed or whatever. And that's all not even considering what God will want. Or am I looking at it? God has put me here as a position of influence to live for Jesus. See, under the sun and for the sun are two different ways to look at the world. Let me kind of unpack that just a little bit more for you. What that looks like. We'll put this up on the screen. Under the sun kind of mindset says I'm always pointing the finger at somebody to blame it's your fault it's your fault it's your fault and, and my life is meaningless it's all because of you right but living for the sun mindset is I'm always pointing people to the gospel man the reason why I'm here is to point people to the truth of Jesus and the hope in Jesus that we have in him under the sun mindset it's all about right now what can I experience right now and, and when things aren't going right now that I lose all my hope but for the son mindset always sees even crisis as an opportunity to seek God, to trust God, to glorify God. Here's another one. Under the sun, we see life is short. This is all we have. But for the son thinking and living, that mindset says, man, we can make an eternal difference in people's lives. 
What I do in this life really does matter for eternity. So here's a question. What kind of mindset do you have? This is what Solomon's asking you. What's your mindset? I've met a lot of Christians that they just don't look at life for the sun. They look at it under the sun. They're negative. They're pessimistic. They're And they don't ever ask the question, what is God doing? And how can I glorify God in it? And you know what? It's easy to fall into under the sun thinking. You know why? Because every news report is under the sun. Every, every article is under the sun. Every post is under the sun. All we're being inundated day after day after day is an under the sun point of view that has, God has been removed from it. So how do we keep a for the sun point of view as we face all the stuff that we're facing today. Let me give you in one minute and 43 seconds, I'm going to give you uh, some practical things to do. All right. First one is this. Write this down. First thing. You need to start every morning saturating your mind with God's word. This is how God gets his mindset into you. All right. Let me put it to another way. And I want you to hear this very clearly from your pastor who loves you. Right. Put the phone down. Just put it down. Turn it off. Turn off the TV. Turn off the news. And pick up your Bible. And let God speak to you about what's happening in this world. Let God give you his perspective and not just a perspective that tends to make you hopeless and negative and futile in your thinking. Saturate your mind with God's word. Number two, ask God to give you his perspective. In 2 Corinthians, we're told that, that, that when we come to Christ, the Spirit of God lives within us. And he goes on to say at the end of that chapter that, that, uh, that we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? That means that the Spirit of God lives within us and he can show us what is God's view and God's perspective on the world. So why don't you ask God, Lord, would you show me what is your perspective? God, what are you doing? When I look at the news, when I look at the chaos, when I look at all that's happening around the world, what are you saying to us, God? Reveal these things to me. And then ask yourself the question, how can I glorify God in this situation? How can I honor God? How can I please God? How can I be a mirror that reflects him in this situation at work or in my marriage or in my conversations with people? How do I honor and glorify God? Number three, live in Christian community. You know what? If there's one thing we learn from COVID-19 is that, man, we need each other. We do. And when we sink into a under the sun mindset, where we forget that God is on his throne, we forget that God has a purpose in it all. And we begin to lose hope. We begin to be negative and critical and despondent. We need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us and say, hey, look up to Jesus. God's on his throne. God's got a plan. Our view is not under the sun, it's, it's for the sun. That's who we live for. That's the unique perspective of the follower of Jesus. So what's your mindset? Through this book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to talk about that. What is meaningless, but all this is to drive us to the point that we understand that this world has nothing to offer. And that only hope is found in Christ. In Christ alone. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute?
maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening online right now and uh, you can say, man, I, I felt like life is meaningless. You work so hard for something, it's taken away. You build up your retirement and then stock market crashes, it's gone tomorrow. Or People make promises, they don't keep them. Why, why even bother? Listen, you will never find hope never find joy satisfaction in life apart from Christ Jesus said in John 10 he said I've come that you might have life and have it to the full what that means is that you can actually be living but not have life the fullness of life the meaning and purpose and joy of knowing God and fulfilling his purpose so the first step toward knowing meaning in life is to take the step toward knowing Jesus. And the good news is we are not left in a hovel world without hope. <laughs> that God saw us in our sinfulness. He saw us in our waywardness. He sent his own son Jesus Christ to come to this earth and he revealed the Father to us. He went to a cross and all of our sin and all our failures and all our mistakes and our wickedness was put on the back of Jesus. He died paying the penalty for our sin. He was buried third day. He rises again from the dead and he offers you life, hope, change, satisfaction, all the things that the world can't give you you have to receive him by faith so I'm gonna pray a simple prayer of faith today and if you're here and you say you know I don't know that I've ever given my life to Christ maybe you're sitting in your living room or listening in your car right now but you go I don't know that I've ever really given my life to Jesus but God's speaking to you now that you need him and I want to lead you in a simple prayer of asking Christ to come into your life so with your heads bowed go over the student building heads bowed you want Christ in your life, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. God hears your heart. He knows your heart. Just pray, Lord Jesus, I know I've lost my way. And I need you. I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again. And I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Make me a new person. Today I choose to follow you. And just with your heads bowed, maybe you're a believer today, but you realize you've been chasing a lot of hovel, thinking it's going to give you meaning. Then just confess that to God and say, Lord Jesus, I just want you in the center of my life. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to live my brief little life, this little vapor, this little smoke. I want to live it for you. Would you tell him that? Father, we love you so much. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have of the gospel. Thank you that we can gather today around your word and that your word, though written, thousands of years ago still speaks so clearly to us today 
so relevant to us today. Oh, Spirit of God, fill us today. Lord, help us to be light and mirrors that reflect you to the world around us. Lord, you are our hope and our joy and our meaning. And we worship you with all that we are. Even so, Lord, come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.